This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress. Entries are now open for the 2021 English Select Yearling Sales Series. The series will again comprise five sales. Classic, Premier, Easter, Gold and the Hunter Thoroughbred Breeders Association May Yearling Sale to be held at Riverside in Sydney and Oaklands Junction in Melbourne. Each of the three primary sales, Classic, Premier and Easter, will retain their regular places on the sales calendar. Following its success this year, the Scone sales will be moved permanently to Riverside on May 2nd and May 3rd and will be rebranded the HTBA Yearling Sale. The Gull Sale in Melbourne will be held on May 16th. To discuss the placement of your yearlings, contact a member of the Inglis Bloodstock team. As Darren Murphy approaches his 60th birthday, he couldn't be more content with his lot in life. The former jockey is currently based in the Adelaide office of the well-known organisation Skill Invest, a premium employment and training company which specialises in the education and career guidance of people across a range of industries, including horse racing. Darren also has an association with Thoroughbred Racing South Australia as a coach and mentor to young jockeys, strappers and aspiring trainers. He began his own apprenticeship in his hometown of Ballarat in the 1970s and would go on to experience the highs and lows that racing can bring. He rode almost 900 winners, but was involved in a series of falls that left him with nasty injuries, injuries that would eventually take their toll. In more recent years, he's worked as a track walker, a form analyst, and a mentor of jockeys at home and overseas. He's motivated at all times by his love of the thoroughbred racing industry as a whole but especially his admiration for the racehorse. Darren Murphy's story is a fascinating one, and I'm tickled pink he's going to share it with us on the podcast. Good on you, Darren. Good morning, and thanks for joining us. Good morning, John. Uh, thank you very much for, for uh, the interest in having me. Much appreciated. To say you get around a bit is no exaggeration. As we speak, you're in the town they call the Alice. That's correct, John. Uh, I just had a window of opportunity to get a couple of days um, freshen up and um, like a long weekend, so I headed up to Alice Springs to get some uh, – we, we can travel from South Australia mm-hmm. without self-isolating the current environment and just to get some warmth on my back and just to recharge the batteries. And um, uh, and I've never been to Alice Springs before, so it's you know I, I really um, – in, love travelling and embracing different cultures and seeing you know, so many as much part of Australia and the world as I can when the opportunity arises. Skill Invest have many outlets throughout Victoria, and you actually started there, but you jumped at the opportunity to become the company's Adelaide racing mentor. Uh, yes, John, um, I was approached by um, equine manager Mr da- David Cookson when I was working um Back in Victoria, from uh, when I come out back from Turkey, and Mr. Cookson uh, mentioned there was an opportunity in South Australia to represent School Invest. If I was interested, and I definitely was because it's, um, you know, I had the qualifications to uh, with the training assessment qualifications. I had the qualifications, and 
I've always loved South Australia. I rode here um, off and on during my riding career and actually spent two years at Murray Bridge in the late 70s, which was a great experience. So it's always been a close to home and I grabbed the opportunity. Fortunately, I was, I was, uh, uh, you know, I was given the opportunity from, from School Invest. You're a Ballarat boy, as I mentioned in the introduction. You were the third of four sons born to Dennis and Valma, who've both passed on. Now, your elder brother Pete is in the meat industry. Younger brother Chris is a businessman in Ballarat. Second-born son Gary was an outstanding jockey in his own right and we'll pay tribute to him later. But just for now, Darren, I think it's fair to say Gary was the reason you decided to become a jockey. Uh, that's correct, John. Look, uh, Gary was, you know, he was just born to be a jockey. I don't think he, from my uh, memory, going to school, um, primary school and secondary school, Gary just had the um, the love for horses and he, he was just uh, one direction and that was to be a jockey. And he, he was um, the right height, he was the right stature and, and he was just so gifted. He was you know, he's very, very schooled, and um, I followed his path. Um, I was a much more of a work in progress, and uh, what would come easy for Gary was sort of was difficult for me to um, try to replicate or accomplish. But it just made me more determined, and realised that you know things that you love don't always come come easy, and you just got to persevere and get the best out of yourself. Your first boss was a man called Ron Bones whose son, Walton, had been a very good apprentice rider. It was a pretty tough grind for kids in those days, wasn't it? Yes, 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 that's that's correct, John. I'd had a very short few uh, or months with a chap called Daryl Brown, who's like Daryl Brown, who gave me the first introduction to the racist table, but I moved to Mr Bones, which Gary was uh, with Gary's apprentice to Mr Bones and, and Walton's his son. Walton's was a very, very talented jockey, um, yeah, he did had a few rides in the Metropolitan area at that time, but he mainly just um, mainly just rode around the Western District and Ballarat area of um, uh, where Victoria Walton did. But he was uh, outstanding. He had a few rides for Mr Cummings when he was an apprentice. Um, I think he rode mm. Taj Rossi at one stage. Did he? Uh, so, mm. Yes. Yeah. You spent two years of your apprenticeship, as you mentioned, with uh, Ray Paik at Murray Bridge in South Australia. And you had a really good run during that time. You rode about 60 winners all up and you and a young bloke called Peter Shepherd were going toe-to-toe for quite a while. But that all came to an end, Darren, when you had a nasty crash at Victoria Park uh, from a mare called Bold Rain. Fractured pelvis, fractured collarbone, three months out. Yeah, uh, yes, yes, uh uh, John, it was was it was just an unfortunate race incident. Um, it was a straight race, and and Victoria Park, magnificent track, and uh, I think you know all the jockeys used to really enjoy riding. It was a straight, but the winning post, the turnout of the straight, the winning was just past the winning post. So anyway, I ran second. Elf Matthews won the race, and um, Elf Source just sort of uh, moved out a touch through no fault of his own, went under pressure as we got past the post and I just um, popping my horse, moved in a touch when under pressure and we just grabbed, I just grabbed his heels and down I went. But mm. um, it's just a racing incident. Um, and, you know, in those days, um, 
you know, I think uh, mum and dad couldn't even listen to the races back in, in, in Victoria and I used to ring mum and dad up of a Saturday night and let them know how the day went and all the, the you know. Uh, anyway, you know, um, it was an injury that was uh, going to be fixable, thankfully, thank God, and I needed some time out. And it wasn't until I got – I went back to Ballarat when I was well enough to travel to recuperate and then I really felt a homesickness then. Um mm-hmm. And I was fighting between going back to Mr. Pake or staying at home uh, because Mr. Pake and his family were just like a second home to me and they were great people and they had a great camaraderie with um, the jockeys. You know, you go into the Adelaide jockeys room at those, uh, Johnny Stocker, Johnny Letts, mm. um, Desi Coleman, Billy Sharp and, of course, Pete Shepard, Randy Sutton. And there was just outstanding um, – Clayton Bromley was just outstanding uh, horsemanship and to be a young lad involved and learning from those people was just a great experience. But when I was back in Ballarat, I, I decided to stay there and I finished my time, uh, my apprenticeship in Ballarat. Mm. Yes. Well, you were just barely back riding track work after the Victoria Park accident and you parted company with one of Robert Smurden's. This time, a very nasty knee injury and that knee took a hell of a long time to come right. Yes, yes, that's right, John. I was just, un- you know, just unfortunate. I, um, I just started getting back to track work and it was a uh, memory of the horse called Rising Glass and mm. I used to shy a bit and we're working on the track gallop on the on the, um, um, on the grass track and hats out and it, it, it tried to duck around a, a, a witch's hat and, in the dark and just caught me off guard and I went, you know, went off the side and landed on the knee. Yeah, it really damaged me, me knee. It fractured yeah. it and ACL damage, etc. took a long time to, to, to heal up. When you were finally back in action, Brother Gary had gone to town to ride for Tommy Hughes and Robert Smurden started to put you on more often. And there was one really nice mare that gave you a kick along by the name of Lemon Princess. You won on her at Ballarat. You followed up with another win at Seymour, then another one at Caulfield. And a few months later, you won a decent race on Lemon Princess. It was a Group 3, the Francis Tressidy Stakes at Flemington. Very well-known race. Yes, yes, John, 100% quick. Gary was, when Gary moved to Melbourne, opened more doors up with me, with uh, with Robert and um, the other ballot trainers. And Gary was sort of the still the go-to jockey when he was available. Um, but we with Lemon Princess, I did all the work on her as a, you know, as a young horse, um, really lovely owners she had that, that mare had and or Philly then become mayor and we had a great association and she was really, really good to me. At, you know, you need every jockey needs uh, whatever stage of their career needs a horse to come along and just sort of help them get to the, the next opportunities or the next level. Uh, with those opportunities, and Lemon Princess enabled me to do that. And yes, I win the um, Francis Tressing and Harry Whiteman second um, mm. in that race. And um, you know, we held up, we held up for a run, and just had to hold my composure and be patient. She got a late split and darted through to win the race. So, um, mm. great memories. Out of the blue came an offer from Caulfield trainer Rob McGuinness to ride extensively for his stable. This wasn't long after Robert had a good run with a very good filly called Deck the Halls. Uh, I remember her winning a Rose Hill Guineas here in Sydney. 
You and McGuinness had a pretty good run for a while. Yes, yes, we did, John. Uh, Robbie McGuinness uh, used to uh, contact me. I just took quite a bit of Victorian riding base in Ballarat for, for Robbie McGuinness, and Robbie offered me to come to Caulfield and and be part of his team, which I just embraced. And uh, I was t- 24 years old at that stage, um, and then Gary was living in Eston, so I boarded with Gary, um, travelled to Caulfield, and we had a really, really good run. And for the first 18 months, 12, um, 18, 24 months, uh, particularly the first 12 months, the then things started drying up a little bit and um, I was starting to lose opportunities to other jockeys, which happens. Um, mm. But, um, you know, I just had to keep, you know, believing in myself and I had some really, really good people around me uh, John, which I think is important. Well, there was a jockey by the name of Kevin Mitchell who was riding regular work at Caulfield in those days and you often teamed up with him in track gallops. Now, Kevin Mitchell, the late Kevin Mitchell, had a huge impact on young Darren Murphy at that time. As you said, you were in your mid-twenties and quite impressionable. Uh, uh, John, look, Kevin, Kevin, you know, that's... It's so hard to put how much Kevin means to me in words. I first met uh, Mr. Mitchell, as I called him, when I start, first started my apprenticeship at Ballarat. And, mm-hmm. you know, you noticed that there was a lot of – well, we used to have the racetrack magazine, used to watch the jockey styles and racetrack, you know, the Peter Cook and the Harry White, Roy Higgins and all those great jockeys. And mm-hmm. and there was a photo of Kevin Mitchell one day and, I, and there was just something just attracted me to his style, his posture, his, the way he spoke and – at Ballot Races as a 16-year-old, I went, oh, Mr. Mitchell, I'm Darren Murphy. Um, whenever you get a chance, could you um, watch me ride or try to give me some feedback? And mm. yeah, I remember he, he sat me down and he said, look, son, he said, Darren, um, let's share the day. Well, you know, you can do me saddles up for me. I've got yeah. a couple of rides. You can do this. So from the, that's where that connection started with uh, John and then, of course, Kevin rode overseas a lot in Singapore and in in, the, in England. But he, when I was twenty, when I was at Caulfield, he was back then in Australia um, doing most of his riding for a great trainer called Ian Saunders. But Kevin mm. and I rode track work together, and he, he was just the amount, the um, knowledge and the, you know, he he just taught me that you, you cannot change things; you got to learn from them. And move forward. Um, and if you get taken off a horse, don't argue. Just respect and wish them all the best. And the wheel keeps turning around. He just taught me a lot about, um, about life. the racing game, yeah, in life <laughs> and the racing game. Yeah. Just to illustrate what a remarkable bloke he was, he won the Doncaster at Randwick in 1984 on a terrific little horse called Vichaval, trained by Ian Saunders. And Kevin Mitchell, I'm sure, was 55 years old when he won that Doncaster. Yeah, yes, yes, John. And and, and this when uh, Vell was, uh, I think it would have been his last or second last season of racing. And mm. uh, when we were, you know, touch, you know, when we were sort of working together at Caulfield, and then Kevin said to me, "When Vell retires, I'm." Yeah, I'm not going to retire. Not too early for me to retire, but I'm going to slow down a little bit, and I want you to come down. and I'll introduce you to Bell's mm-hmm. trainer, Mr. Ian Saunders. Mm-hmm. And 
So Kevin picked me up after track. We were at Corfor one morning and we drove down to Meantown, Morty Alec Train Centre and met Mr Ian Saunders and and that's how that partnership started. So um, from there, John, it just opened more doors and, and I, I really believe that I, I, I just, you know, I crossed the line as a mediocre jockey to potentially have the opportunity and development mm. to to ride in the group races, you know. Leon Saunders was a very talented and a very clever trainer and he became one of your closest mates and you told me that if you happened to put in a bad ride, he never blew up at the races. He'd talk to you the following day. Yes, Johnny. You know, I was a confidence rider. I think a lot of sports people are confidence people and Kevin knew that and, and you know, Gary and a lot of people. And so things didn't come sort of naturally to me. Um but Ian and Kevin, but Ian was one of those, Just he's just a beautiful person. You were part of his team. He involved you with the training of the horses. He'd always ask you your, your, your feedback and, and go with it. And if you weren't happy with the way the horse worked, we would, we'd stay at home and wait until you felt the horse was in better condition, et cetera. So it was a great teamwork. But, you know, we don't always get it right. And then some days I'm... Probably should have come out to make you run. I went in and I got bought for a run and you go to the line, you're a good thing beat. Uh, no one hurts more than the jockey come back to scale and put no, your hand course. up and say, you know. Yeah. So, but Ian, Ian just said, well, yeah, it wasn't one of your best ones, but, you know, we'll move forward. We'll get the next one right. Yeah. And that, 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 that mentoring, that coaching, that teaching, I, I, I just, improved me about six to eight lengths as a jockey, you know, mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah. Well, just get Darren Murphy to stand by for a moment while we clear a commitment on the podcast. And when we come back, I'm going to get Darren to tell you a story that will appeal to anybody who loves a romantic tale of the turf. Back shortly. In the three editions of the Everest so far, only two runners have had strong Adelaide ties. Fedora, who contested the race in 2018, and Sunlight last year had spent a part of their careers in South Australia. This year, it's fair to say that Gitra and Behemoth, both five-year-olds, are as South Australian as the Barossa Valley. Gitra will run in the English slot, Behemoth under the star banner. Gitra, trained by Port Lincoln-born Gordon Richards, has spent most of his career across the road from the Morfordville Racecourse. Behemoth has enjoyed the idyllic surrounds of beautiful Goolwa Beach in the hands of David Jolly, a member of a legendary South Australian racing family. The athletic chestnut Gitra has won a Group 1 and been placed in three others. The giant bay Behemoth has won two Group 1s and been placed in another. If one of them happens to win the Tab Everest on October the 17th, South Aussies will have bragging rights for a long time to come. Now here comes my favourite Darren Murphy story. You arrived at Flemington on Melbourne Cup Day 1986 and you had one ride for a trainer called Owen Lynch. You'd been wasting hard to ride that horse and on the day you were very light. Well before the first race, there was a hell of a commotion in the jockey's room when Sydney jockey Johnny Marshall took ill and was declared unavailable to ride Empire Rose in the Melbourne Cup. She had 49 kilos. You were the 
only jockey in the room capable of riding the weight. So how did it play out, Darren? Did they go and get to Bart to come in and see you? Yes, John, as as you stated, when I arrived at the course, a good friend of mine or young Craig Din, who used to sit next to and Craig was Flemington based apprentice Tommy Hughes that Gary rode for, and Craig said, oh, how light are you? I said, oh, Craig, I'm pretty light. I've been wasting hard and, you know, with the carnival, with the Cox Plate coming up, I'll maybe get a lightweight ride. Mm. And then Craig told me that the late Johnny, you know, Johnny would take an ill waste in. And um, so Mr Cummings came in about an hour and a half before the Melbourne Cup and shook me hand and said, can you ride the mare in the cup for me, uh, Darren? You uh, said, let me think ahead. about it. Let me think about it, Mr. Cummings. Come yeah. back in half an hour. Yes. <laughs> so, so, you know, I didn't I don't think I had time to experience the butterflies, but it was just his, you know, and Mr. Cummings, oh, I'd had a couple of rides for Mr. Cummings before that, um, and but his demeanour never changed. He, he's, he just, he was calm. He wasn't frustrated. He wasn't flustered. He was calm. Gave me the colours and said, I'll see you when you weigh out. Mm. And uh, the irony was that my brother Gary had a really, really good chance. Uh, I think – I can't, cannot remember the name of my brother's horse he was riding, but it was a New Zealand horse, and it was in the market. And anyway, I no longer get to ride on Mr Cummings' horse, Empire Rose. The siren goes. It's a late scratch in the Melbourne Cup. Gary's horse has got – mounted, got hurt in, in the float going to the track. Yeah. So – so there was a bit of a highs and lows. We've been brothers are going to ride in the Melbourne Cup together, and I, I get a ride from our, you know another jockey's unfortunate circumstances, and Gary lost his ride. But he, when I went out to ride in in, in that race, um, never been in the Melbourne Cup before. Mister Cummings in the mountain yard said to me, Darren, he said, you know, she hasn't really had the genuine two mile preparation. It's the first year come over, Mr. Lakes and sent her over to Mr. Cummings just as a, as a probably education to travel and grounding for when she was a year or two older. Mm. But she got into the Melbourne Cup by just getting beat in the Delgate the Saturday before and I ended up being the rider on the day as it uh, turned out and he just said, look, just try to bury away, wait, 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 wait. And if you see, try to save it, help with the run to two miles. Um she was obviously a very big mare. Oh, wasn't uh, she? A, she yeah, was a giant of a mare and she used her bulk right throughout that race. She gave you a tough yes. ride. Yeah, she just pulled. She's strong, strong all the way, never relaxed, never switched off and um, and told it's told late. She just um, flattened out the last 200 metres. But oh, what's your game? Enormous. And uh, Anyway, in the tempo of the race, Michael Clark just controlled the race in front on that talac, and um, mm. so the tempo of the race didn't help help our chances. But it was Mr. Come back, Mr. Cummings. He did well. He did well, boy. You know, he said, "Can you, you know, you got the ride my mare Cropley Road in the next race?" And um, the very so next race, the fairy tale continued. Yes. So, um, and again, he just, you know. She drew wide that day, Cropley Road, the 1,400-metre race. Just go back, find cover and run through the line straight, save it, don't don't, don't um, cover an unnecessary ground. And, but there's no pressure. There was just, you know, whatever, whatever you do will be right. And that was 
on a Melbourne Cup day in a Melbourne Cup and then the, 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 the race after was a listed race. So mm. you, you go to the barriers with those instructions just with full of confidence. Yes. And you bobbed up and won that race. And um, yes. she had a very limited career, Cropley Road. In fact, that was her only win in eight starts. So something went amiss pretty early yes. in her career. Yes, John. She she wasn't the soundest horse in the knees. Um, she had knee difficulty, but very talented. But the uh, you know soundest difficulties paid us toll at the end. But um, trained magnificently for the Melbourne for that race, the Melbourne Cup week, and got a valuable race under her belt before she went to stud. A stakes race. Yep. Now, just going back to Empire Rose, Darren, to tidy up. You ran fifth in that Cup of '86. You were only 3.3 lengths from the winner at Talak. Uh, the following year, she ran second to Kenzai. She backed up again in 1988 and she won her Melbourne Cup, beating Natsuki, who was very unlucky. And at her fourth attempt, she finished down the course behind Terrific. So she'd come to the end of it, but she did a, a mighty job and Australian racing fans of that era will never forget the gigantic mare uh, with feet as big as dinner plates and a head four foot long. <laughs> yes, and, and but she was a name, she was a beautiful horse to ride. Like I mean, she was strong in the Melbourne Cup the year I rode it, but she was just, as Mister Cummings says, just a bit raw, a bit green, and not not really fully ready for that task. But she was honest and game, and you do your preliminary to the barrier. She was just, just she she was she was part of you. You know, she didn't give any trouble. No. Um, and, and in the barriers, I had an extension on for her. She coped with that claustrophobic really well. She was just a beautiful mare, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, Darren, in the 1988-89 season, you had three rides on a brilliant mare called Scarlet Bisque for Colin Hayes. Your first ride was in the Moyer Stakes, which was then a Group 2. She had only 49 kilos and she bolted in. I don't know if you remember the opposition. Redelva, Rancho Ruler, and Special ran second, third, and fourth. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, fortunate uh, Gary Fennessy. Um, I sort of chased the ride, and Gary Fennessy um, helped. You know, put a good word into me with Mr. Hayes, and of course Michael was was going to ride special. Michael Clark was going to ride special. Pretty sure Michael rode special that day. And and with Scarlet Bisque having a light weight and, you know, as, with the carnivals, I always tried to get my weight down as light as I could, hoping an opportunity might come along in those good great, good races. And so be it. And um, she was very well prepared, very well trained, um, ideally suited for that race. And she just began the barriers sharp and, Grabbed the race, uh, controlled the race, and what um, you know got a, was really strong to the line. It was great, great, uh, a great memory and a great moment, and you know just gave me a lot of confidence going forward. Uh, well, you rode her again the following year and ran third in the Oakley Plate. Now you won three races at Mooney Valley on one of your favourites, a horse called Gallipoli Prince, trained by Ian Saunders. Good memories. Yes, 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 John, for sure. You know, yeah. you know, any winner is a great. Any winner, a, a jockey, for me as a jockey, was always a great thrill, and I really appreciated. But the, whatever we, whatever Ian sort of, the you know, winners you can get for Ian were just so so special. And you know, Danny Burton, the 
outstanding jockey, Danny. He did a lot of work, all the young work on Glickley Prince. Uh, he wasn't an easy horse to ride early doors, but Danny did all the work on him and rode him early. But when Danny went to Hong Kong um, uh, to ride, Glickley Prince became my ride. And oh, he was character of the horse. He was a great horse. Uh, and he took us through a lot of good, some good race success. I'm sure you remember Testimony, trained by Colin Little, great little horse. He won 13 races for Colin. You won four on him, two at Caulfield, one at Mooney Valley, and the listed race in Adelaide, the DC Mackay. Yes, yes, John. I went went to Caulfield, um, rode quite a bit of work for for Colin Little, outstanding horseman, outstanding person. Uh, had quite a bit of luck with um, Mr. Rod Fitzroy, uh, who owns some of his horses. Test to me um, was really good to me. Darren Gauchy rode Test to me most of the time, I think, from memory, but I may have got the ride when Darren was out with an injury. Uh, mm. And yeah, he, 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 he helped me um, go further into my development. And winning the Mackay Stakes was a great thrill in South Australia. And he ran in a good wood, but he didn't back up, and he um mm. he he ran he ran ordinary that day. But uh, he was a great horse. He was a um, great sprinter, good sprinter. You won a Kyneton Cup for Colin Alderson in nineteen eighty four on Astralin. Yes, John. Um, Astralin was extremely talented in New Zealand. Was a really good horse, um, and he won the Kyneton Cup and. Uh, you know, I think he went on to win the Australian Cup a year or two later, um, if, uh, for memory. But yes, he, when I rode Aston, he was just a young, developing. Um, he was, you know, like a New Zealand horse. He's still developing at the time. He had a lot ahead of himself, and he certainly fulfilled his potential to some extent in the next season or two. You won a couple of city races on a very smart sprinter called Princely Hart. What are your memories of him? Yes, Princey Hart was another very talented sprinter. He, he would have he had a wind problem, uh, which he had to really ride in kind and smooth and help him all the way. And oh, you know, we talk about the ones that get away. Or you know, there's no doubt I probably nearly should have uh, won the new market um, when I ran second on him, Placid Arc, and Johnny Scores. I won the trip the three sprints that season, and um, I was getting a. I drew down the inside in the new market and Johnny drew out the outside fence and so one I was on and I went for a run up inside Caledonian Planet at about a clock tower which I appeared was gonna open up for me and it just didn't and I had the balk not check, but I just took the balk my momentum and come to that Caledonian's planet's outside. Mm. Might have cost me three quarters of length. I got beat about half a length and oh that hurt. That hurt. <laughs> oh, but I bet it did, you yeah. know, that hurt, but you know that's that's you know, and, and uh, I'll never forget the next morning. I didn't sleep that night. You relive the race, and you think, well, you know, you know, you don't get these many opportunities, and you let you know you you, you mess. You might think you're blaming yourself, and I get the track look down at Chute Street, and mm. always got the Chute Street Egan Stables about four twenty four thirty, and yeah. I opened the beautiful barn door, and. Ian's there waiting for me, he said, Darren, he said, I know you're hurting, but you can't change it. Mm. We've got eight horses of work. Let's 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 get the let's let's find another group one horse for you. You know mm. what I mean? Like and yeah. and you know, you'll never forget those words and he's he's right, he's correct. You can't you cannot change it. You can learn, mm. but you can't turn the clock back, you know. 
You won a Werribee Cup for George Hanlon on Agent Provocative. You won an Albury Cup. You had a really good run in the 1980s. Now, it was George Hanlon who gave you another crack at a Melbourne Cup in 1987 on a mare called Like a Topic. You ran third on her in the Mooney Valley Cup, but she finished well back in the Melbourne Cup after having had a good run. She had every hope. Yes, yes, uh, John, that's correct. And, you know, I got the ride for Mr Hanlon probably through the connection of Ian because he's based at Epson and um, Mr Hanlon was really, really good to me. I won some good races for him and and uh, and had the opportunity to ride like a topic. Like a topic. Um, you qualified for the Melbourne Cup with the Mooney Valley uh, placing, cut placing, mm. but she just wasn't quite up to that that that, that standard on the day. Uh, but another great thrill to to be involved. You had a short stint in Singapore, same year, nineteen eighty seven, which brought you your most important win, the Singapore Lion City Cup, a very prestigious race up there, on a horse called Cash in the Bank. Big moment. Yes. John, it was amazing, and that all developed through Kevin. Uh, Mr Mitchell uh, had an opportunity for me to go to, to to Singapore for those. In those days, they did the circuit, so they, you know, the circuit in Singapore, and then they go to Kuala Lumpur and Ipoh and Penang, and um, I was there for the for this um, Singapore Gold Cup uh, fortnight. Uh, you know, there was a fortnight's racing and all the races, and I happened to ride three winners on the one day, and that was one of them, which was... Um, Outstanding time and great thrill and so appreciative to be had those opportunities. Mm. Your brother Gary had a great career. He rode more than 600 winners and he earned wide respect in Victoria. I think he's training now, isn't he? He won a race at Werribee recently. That's right. That's right, uh, John. Uh, Gary's highly skilled horseman and great jockey and rode against one of the best when he's uh, – throughout Australia, um, obviously when Tommy Hughes, they won the Brisbane Cup and um, the three-year-old race on what's called Anchor Inn and Queens Road won the Brisbane Cup, Anchor Inn won the good three-year-old race up there um, the same day and they had great success. But now, he, you're right, he's, he's just uh, potters around with a couple of horses. Um, I'm sure they'll be starting the race again about uh, late spring, Christmas time. He just enjoys being involved with the horse. And Gary's son, of course, your nephew, Sebastian, had a brief but brilliant career, winning two Melbourne Apprentices Premierships and he rode a Stradbroke winner, horse called Mr Baritone. Sebastian quit the saddle a few years ago. Now, Darren, we've got to touch on one of the lowest points, if not the lowest point, in your entire career. In the spring of 1990, Lady Luck turned her back on you. Trainer called Tom Lanyon got you to ride a horse called Anchor and Hope in a 900-metre jump out down the straight at Flemington. He wanted the horse to have a look at the straight because he'd uh, nominated him for the Bobby Lewis quality. Now, he jumped the crossing at the 800. He smashed into the running rail. He dislodged you and then somersaulted and landed on top of you. Now, there were first aid people in attendance, but no ambulance. How long were you laying there for? Well, every part of 30 minutes or more, uh, John. Um, mm. 
Yes, it's just, uh, look, I'd had quite a few race falls um, prior to that accident, but the difference was on the race in the, fortunately with the ambulance following around, if you are hurt um, to some extent, you, the pain, the immediate pain can be relieved. Uh, the attendance is, um, is as immediate as it possibly can be. On this occasion at Flemington, I wasn't fortunate to have that support or that pain relief and uh oh the, the, the you know the, the pain that was going through my body for that for that period of time just was un- unbearable and uh, uh, just still like it was with me like it was yesterday i'll never forget um i'm sort of i'm a religious sort of a chap so um mm. i could add one i was grabbing the grass with my right hand, just praying to God to leave to take me because the oh, pain was going through my body was just just terrific, and yeah. and it took um, it took well, uh, yeah, it, it 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 had a lot of effect on my life. Um, yeah, well, the injury list day. was horrendous, wasn't it? Yes, I dislocated my left hip, um, broken right leg, and but on my right side there was broken ribs, and you could I could feel myself bleeding inside. Um, oh, so yeah, so so that was uh, and but you know you've got to look at the position. My neck and my head was fine. My back yeah. was fine. You know, so you know, there's there's got to be the, the posies are that it could have been a lot lot worse. But that the 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 pain that was going through the body was just terrific. Yeah. Just terrific. Well, there was hell to play about the absence of the ambulance, and happily things changed dramatically from that time on. Now you made a miraculous recovery. And once you got your medical clearance, you were back riding work for Ian Saunders when your old mate Kevin Mitchell came along and told you there was a job coming up in Macau. Now, when you weighed up all the options, there was a lot to like about it. It was the change that you really needed at the time. Now, you stayed a full season. You ran fourth on the Jockeys Premiership there. But by your own admission, Darren, you were not the same jockey. No, I wasn't, John. I, I was really struggling in in Melbourne, Victoria, when I made my comeback, and um, uh, then you know, uh, Kevin uh, had a contact over from Macau and Singapore. It was that was in Macau, and you're right. I just thought I'd change the scenery, um, put my teeth, and see if I can get some more out of myself. And and it, it helped. It helped a lot, but um, I, I just wasn't the same. I didn't have the same. Uh, my body didn't work the same, my mind didn't work the same, so I came back and gave it away. Well, when you got back to Melbourne, you made the very wise and the very tough decision to quit the saddle. Now, your good mate and fellow jockey Alf Matthews came along and he told you about an Adelaide-based professional punting outfit called Ferncourt, owned by the Manuel family. Four analysts were placing a lot of emphasis on the ability of track walkers to assess the best and the worst sections of racecourses in indifferent weather. You got in touch with Ferncourt. Yes, that's right, um, John, that's exactly right, uh, Alfie Matthews, because I was pretty lost when I gave up my ride and didn't know what I was going to do with myself, to be, really, and Alf said to me, look, would you be interested in learn how to walk the tracks and um, for the people I ride for and, and look at the horses in the mountain yard and give an assessment on their condition in the mountain yard. And I said to Alf, I said, 
yes, you know, of course I would, mm-hmm. whatever opportunity I can I can get. But so that's how that started, and I worked part time. It was one or two days a week, mm-hmm. which eventually became to full time. The most beautiful people you could work for, mm-hmm. um, beautiful and great opportunity. I embraced it, went with it, and learnt so much. That's now a big part in the um, mm-hmm. a jockey's um, race day toolkit. A man called Chris Watson has played a very important Chris. role in your career. He contacted you during your Fern Court days and explained that he wanted to introduce track assessments into the curriculum of budding young jockeys who were being tutored by Racing Victoria, and he asked you to become a track walker for the controlling body. Yes, yes, Chris, Christopher Watson, um, really lovely gentleman, he asked me what you know, he was interested to find out what this track walking business is all about. And mm. It was more of a safety reason for the apprentices starting off to be make sure they're familiar with their environment when they go to a track the first time and, you know, the cambers, how they fall and starts and then the first corner after start and all that sort of thing. So that's where Chris was more interested about and then um, he, bought, he was keen to bring that into in the education apprentices and then it developed with more scientific, trying to locate the best ground when you're riding, and you know, you know what barriers you've got if the if a, if a track's racing uh, in, in inferior or as we call inferior ground or better ground. So, but Chris was really he was the starter there. With I felt that with the apprentices the education at the with the with the track walking aspect. Mm. Now, during your Macau days, you'd ridden with another expatriate Victorian. Steve Burridge, who'd gone on to a training career in Singapore. Now, Steve had been inviting you for a long time to get yourself up there and work for him. So next thing, you're working as assistant trainer to Steve Burridge, and not surprisingly, you couldn't help yourself. The temptation to ride a little track work was too strong. Now, everything was going along happily until one morning a young horse shied with you you landed badly and broke a femur. Life's not fair, mate. Yes, John, yes. You know, um, as I said, for 10, ten wonderful years with, with Ferncourt, with the Manuel Brothers and the Syndicate, and then they business got sold out. They sold out, so Steve offered me a job to go to Singapore, which I just embraced with the closest of mates. And um, mm. we used to carpool when we were kids in um, growing up in Caulfield as jockeys but um, in Victoria. But, yes... The dream to live the dream again sort of got the better of me, and I, my body was really good. And um, you know, you rode horses, track work, and um, to give Steve a guide on how they might have been going for their race day preparations, etc. And it was a it was a freak accident. The horse shied and um, on the poly track and threw me heavily. It stopped quickly and threw me heavily, and I, I damaged my femur very badly. Steve's a regular listener to the podcast in Singapore and he'll be certain to be tuning into this one. Now, when you made it back to Victoria, you enrolled for a 12-month course at the University of Ballarat, which saw you gain your training assessment qualification, better known as the TAE. And while you were working out what you were going to do with it, along came Racing Victoria stipendiary steward Terry Bailey, asking you to become a provincial and country track walker for racing Victoria. So life was falling into place again. 
Yes, John, 100%. And, and you know, I always sort of, during the ups, highs and lows, I always sort of felt the most important thing to have was respect and understanding and just doing, try and have integrity and do an honest day's work. And, you know, you'll you fall off, you know, the, things happen in racing, things happen in life, they just hold things together and you never know what's around the corner. So Mr Bailey contacted me to help Sammy Holland walk the tracks and I grabbed that opportunity and um, I was part-time track for, for Race Victoria, which I enjoyed. Mm. And we're rapidly running out of time, but there's yes. a couple of points I wanted to raise with you, Darren. There's one other great adventure that we should highlight. Now, that man popped up again, Chris Watson, with an amazing proposal. The Turkish Jockeys Academy had requested the services of an Australian qualified to teach the young Turkish jockeys the finer points of riding thoroughbreds. It was 2014, and you suddenly found yourself in historic Istanbul. You love Turkey, you love the job, and you stayed for two years. Yes, it was just you know, out of the blue, like you said, and uh, it was a great experience. I was so embraced. The students just nothing, had nothing but respect, and um, and I gave that respect back, of course, and, you know, even considering the, the, the language barrier, we had a great time, and I learned as much Turkish as I could to fit in, and it was, oh, you know, I look back and it was one of the most uh, enjoyable times in my career, uh, challenges at different aspects, but I, you know, not once did I, all my time there, did I feel not part of um, the cultural part of the, 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 the team at the school. And I still keep in touch with quite a few of the apprentices that are successfully riding to this day, mm. you know. Well, in between the Turkish adventure and your appointment to your current role in Adelaide, you work for six months for Darren Weir at the height of his record-breaking run. And track walking was one of your duties. What else did you do for Darren? Yes, I really appreciate the opportunity that Darren gave me. And I was his race day assistant, more or less, but um, walked the tracks and helped the staff get the horses ready on race day, um, liaise with the owners and, and the jockeys and support the jockeys through the day. Um, and we just go from one meeting to the next. Um, but I was always, you know, most the jockeys and People that know me, they know that understand the passion I have with the teaching and the mentoring side of the, the industry, like Kevin and, and Ian gave to me and my brother Gary. So um, when Mr. Cookson approached me about the role of school invest, I, I just grabbed that opportunity because that's the direction I wanted to head. You know? Just another stitch in the tapestry of life. Yes, yes, John, and I've been really, really grateful. I mean, you know, okay, there's been times when when you think, you ask yourself, oh, why me, why me, why me, when, you know, the time looks like the everything was just, all your hard work was just starting to come to fruition, but you just got to keep looking forward and got to, got to keep looking forward and try to find the positives out of the negatives and um, normally if you dig deep uh, hard enough, there's a positive there somewhere and that's that's what you've got to keep going forward with. Well, Darren Murphy, as your 60th birthday approaches, you're doing exactly what you want to be doing in the magnificent city of Adelaide, helping enthusiastic young people to establish a career in the great Australian racing industry. And nobody understands that industry better than you do. 
It's been a pleasure to hear your inspiring story on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me, John. It's been a pleasure for sure. Thank you. This podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress.